it's a focus issue, but I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, and I'm probably going to annoy some people. That's fine. Um, and so here, drink, take us a beer. Yeah, sorry, sorry if I'm Gulp annoying. Gulping down, you. you feel yeah. better. Um, but but for example, we're in long run um, uh, negotiations with the Mercosur countries mm-hmm. of of South America. There is really limited benefit. Right. Um, and there's for all commodities. Uh, well, well, especially for agriculture. So okay, okay, yeah, just just across the board. Just like, the numbers aren't there. Like, are, like, are are we going to, you know, gain something in negotiating Bra- with Brazil on beef, or soybeans? Soybeans, yeah, like, like, yeah, no, fair, fair point. probably not. And on top of that, these are not partners that are really open to free and free trade. They're just not. Argentina's just imposed export subsidies right. again, right? And and so, you know, there's an example of, okay, trade agreements are good, um, but maybe we shouldn't be, maybe our resources could be better spent right. somewhere else. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grain Growers of Canada podcast, Beers with Brandon. I'm your host, Brandon Leslie, here in the flesh at my parents' farm in Manitoba, for a, one, of a, one of our few in-person recordings, and it feels so good to be back in real life here. This Summer Series podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Beer Canada. Beer Canada is the voice of the people who make our nation's beers, and their members account for 90% of the beer produced in Canada. The sale of beer supports 149,000 Canadian jobs, generates $14 billion in gross domestic product, and $5.7 billion in, gross in government tax revenues. Beer Canada has represented brewers since 1943. October 6th is a day we're celebrating. October 6th is Canada Beer Day, a day to celebrate Canadian beer. The people who grow it, brew it, sell it, deliver it, serve it, and all of those who drink it. You can visit canadabeerday.ca to learn more about how to get involved. Today's guest is someone that I think many of you will recognize. You've maybe seen him speak at an event, and you're very likely to have seen him in one of our many, nation's many rural or agricultural newspapers. Cam Dahl is the current general manager of the Manitoba Pork Council. Prior to this position, he has held the roles of president of Cereals Canada and general manager of, Ma- of the Manitoba Beef Producers. He's also served as commissioner of the Canadian Grain Commission, and earlier, he's held the position of executive director of the Grain Growers of Canada. Our first one, actually, after his role on Parliament Hill for a number of years. Cam has an ongoing interest in agricultural development, serving on scientific advisory committees for the IDRC and the Scaling Seeds and Technologies Partnership in Africa. He volunteers on the board of Farmers Abroad Canada and has worked on a project that is delivering education and agricultural skills in the Manyanga region of Zambia. Cam has also served as president of the Canadian Agricultural Hall of Fame Association. Cam, thank you so much for joining me here today on Beers with Brandon. Uh, thank you very much. It's a gorgeous day, and I have one lead-off question for you. Oh, for me? I've never yeah. asked one. Let's do it. Why is Beer Canada Day our beer day just one day in Canada? Like, that does not make any sense whatsoever. You know, Should at least be a month. That's a really good point, because we have a lot of months for a lot of other things that, yeah. I don't want to say they're less important, but 
certainly to our sector, beer and the I, consumption of beer is quite valuable. And I, I try to celebrate all year round. I don't know about you. Well, yeah, no, I kind of do. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a personal celebration, <laughs> yeah. right? I think we should do like all of October. It should be beer month. I'm going to bring this back to the to bring back to the folks at Beer Canada. And yeah. We'll, we'll see if we can get this raised within the government. Yeah. You know, really, really secure this uh, yeah. this month-long <laughs> celebration. But thanks so much for coming out here, Cam. But maybe I'd start with a, with a big question. You have um, a heck of a resume. It actually probably would be easier if I named the sectors that you haven't worked for and led within. Um, but like me, you started as a political staffer back mm-hmm. in the day, which in my view was an excellent opportunity to, to yeah. learn a lot about policy and politics, which is heavily impactful on agriculture, even if you want to ignore that reality. So you were the first official executive director of the Grain Growers of Canada uh, just over 20 years ago now, but can you tell us about what you've seen as some of the significant policy changes since then within within the organization and perhaps more broadly? Yeah, you know what, and and I I agree with you, actually. I, I think working on the Hill is, is a fantastic uh, background for mm for agriculture in general. It's just a policy is is so important. Regulation and policy is so important to the industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in thinking back about when grain growers was formed, about how much has changed and and grain growers and its members and and people that have worked for the organization need to be really proud of of how much change has been driven. I'm I'm thinking back, uh, you know, the, the primary policy of the day was was the you know of course the Canadian Wheat Board mm. uh, marketing monopoly? There was no uh, producer representation for for the wheat industry in in, in Western Canada. I, I I think the other big topic is trade. Uh, again, at that time, uh, the the government of Canada really wasn't representing export agriculture at all. Mm. I, I'm I'm thinking back to there were times when uh, CAFTA representatives. Uh, you know, going to a meeting of Cairns Group farm leaders, we needed to be invited by New Zealand <laughs> because Canada wasn't wanting us to be at that table. Uh, and if you think of where we are today, um, uh, you know, some of those, that transition in marketing has been made um, and, and we're seeing that big focus on, on gaining market access and, uh, you know, focus on, on securing the, uh, the trade that we have. Uh, those are really huge advances, and, and Grain Growers has really helped to shape that. Um, and, you know, in the day-to-day, the year-to-year, sometimes you forget mm. those those changes, uh, but the, the influence has been large, um, and it's had a really big impact on on Canadian farmers. It really has. That's great to hear, and I'm, I mean, I'm proud to be part of the organization. It's it's had its its struggles over the years, and, and I think it's it's on the way up and it's a good yeah. thing. But I'd like to ask, you mentioned that the government wasn't inviting um, you know, our, our sector more or less to these sorts of conversations. Why was that? Uh, partly because we weren't organized. Okay. You know, um, uh, those that were of a more protectionist nature were very well organized mm-hmm. and very well funded. <laughs> and export agriculture was a million different voices. Right. And and um, so at the end of the day, if, if government is getting... You know, if if government is is being told a hundred different things by a hundred different people, they can do whatever they want, yep. right? And um, and the fact that export agriculture was was really not well organized, um, frankly, allowed successive governments to ignore them. Yep. And and so you know, Gringors is part of that becoming an organized voice, and and it really has made a difference. 
you know. And United. so is Kafta. Like I, oh, I, I, I should should uh, should mention Kafta as well. And we work. We're a member of Kafta. We're closely with them. And and as you say, you know, united we succeed, divided we fall. But in that vein, you know, over the years, I think it's fair to say that's improved. I th- I think it's it needs mm-hmm. to continue to. But I'm kind of curious your thoughts on how ag groups are currently working together and how that progression has, has led to where we are today as kind of a uni- unified voice on, on certainly on certain particular issues that are uniting and, and, and kind of what that needs to move, look like in the future. I think it takes a lot of work. Yeah. And, and I, I really do see cycles in, in cooperation. Uh, you know, we, we reach a point as, as uh, uh, industry as a whole where we realize that you know we're not united and government isn't listening to us so we we have to collaborate and we have to come together and that's when you saw like Grangor's form mm-hmm. uh, and CAFTA form to, to really come together because the need was obvious uh, and then you have some success and and it swings the other way we go back to our own silos mm-hmm. um, and we go back to our own self-interest and that collaboration starts to disappear because it takes a lot of work um, I kind of think that's the part of the cycle we're in now. I, I see um, the industry as as a whole as you know maybe focused more on our own self-interest than on on the benefits of, of collaboration because we've seen those benefits or we've realized them in a lot of ways, right? Um, uh, and you know whether it's on some of the some of the trade work or that we've talked about or things like the work around neonics or, and you know, there's been there's been real benefits, but but it takes work, and and I I think we're we're in that downward cycle where hmm. we're perhaps perhaps we're more inward focused as organizations, and, and um, that's unfortunate. I I think we need to put that effort into into understanding why we started to work together in the first place. It's a really interesting point. I, I mean, I, you have the longevity that I don't, so I'm kind of looking at a, almost a snapshot in time over the last year and a little bit. But I know we've we've worked with a number of agricultural groups. Uh, one, I know I had a, I penned a letter and and hurting all of these groups to get logos and signatures and approval yeah. of a letter. With uh, we had all the provincial organizations of all of our of all of the member groups, and it was it was challenging. To, as yeah. you say, it was very hard. So I I know that it is still happening, but I find it interesting that that it's perhaps on the downtrend. And it's it's a little bit frustrating. And what do we do when the government doesn't listen when we are united? Yeah. Um, and and the the one thing I will say is is for sure they won't listen when we're not. Yes. Like we absolutely know that they will not listen when we're 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 not united. Um, and you know whether it's I'll I'll give you an example. I of course was at the Canadian Grain Commission and. Um, you know that that act has not been reformed significantly since the 1970s, no. it, and and you know, grain and oilseed and special crops production has changed a little bit since then, just just a, sm- a small portion. <laughs> I, I think it was Larry Hirsch in, in the Western Producer that noted how many different points of view have been sent in on reform to the the, the Canadian Grain Commission and the Canada Grain Act. Um, well, the the likelihood of, of seeing significant reform when we're having that broad perspective, um, hmm. it's probably slim. So and, and so that's an example on the other side. Yeah. No. And you, and you mentioned the Canada Grain Commission, um, which you were a commissioner of. What was that experience like? You know what? It was it was a fantastic experience. So so first off, I I worked with really good 
uh, fellow commissioners, um, you know, and Alwyn Hermanson, who of course was a long time uh, involved in, in politics in, in Canada, as, w as well as Jim Smolik, um, past president of, yeah. of the Grain Growers of Canada, uh, one of the key founders of, of BC Grain Producers. Uh, so I, I worked with, with some, some really good people, including um, you know, the, the staff at the time at, at, the, at the Grain Commission. Uh, but it, it was a chance to try to drive change from the other side, from, from the inside. And um, you know, as you know from working on the Hill, you get to see what what drives political reason, mm -hmm. leaders and you know, why do they really make the decisions <laughs> that they make. And, and from working on the inside of a government agency, you get, you get the flip side of that and yeah. say, okay, you know, what goes into a memorandum to cabinet, you know, from a, from a bureaucratic point of view. Um, and uh, it, was, it was really good experience. Would you ever go back to it? It was frustrating at days. Yeah, would you ever <laughs> go back to it? Uh, because I'm sure you were frustrated in days. Yeah, no, it, it <laughs> how shall I phrase it? I, I don't regret for a day um, the the work and the experience. And like I said, we were able to drive some, some change and some reform, and, and that was good. Mm. Um, but sometimes government moves at a different pace than I'm used to. So <laughs> Yeah, that takes a while to get used <laughs> it, to. It does take a while <laughs> to get used to. But I guess going back to quickly to the collaboration, is there any area, specific areas in which you think uh, we should be collaborating a little closer? I'm, one that comes to my mind is trade. Uh, but what, any other yeah, thoughts? I, I think, um, you, know, you know, public trust is probably another one where mm. where uh, we, we probably should be working together more on. Um, uh, trade is one combating protectionism. I really do see that there's there's a rise of a you know new nationalism out there, and, yeah. and it's it's protectionism is coming back. And um, you know whether you're selling pork or beef or canola or wheat, um, that access to international markets is so critically important. Um, and and we we need to work together to to combat that. Whether it's ensuring we have the resources in the field. I think, um, you know, if there's a problem in Indonesia, we need to have the experts in the field right away. And, and again, I think we could be delivering a much better unified voice to government on those issues. I think I really want, I'm going to come back to that issue, um, specifically some of the, you know, the presence that we have in other countries. But first, if you're willing, we're going to pardon me. We're going to sample a few beers here today. Can we do that before we, October sixth? We, we might get a couple in before <laughs> okay, before good, the sixth there. But good. so today we are going to be sampling uh, beers from Winnipeg Winnipeg-based brewery Fort Gary Brewing. Fort Gary has been making beer for ninety years. Made it made by Manitobans for Manitobans. In 1994, Richard Hoshan resurrected Fort Gary Brewing as we know it today in South Winnipeg. His great grandfather had founded it in 1930. They were pioneers of craft brewing in Manitoba, and they make, they make beer the same way as they have for 90 years. Sure, the copper kettles are gone, and the steam heat is now electric, but from their humble beginnings in a small Market Street warehouse to the current state-of-the-art facility, they have never strayed from their microbrewery tradition. Fort, Gary, Fort Gary's entire history has been about one thing, brewing the best, most flavorful, easy-drinking beer in Manitoba. The, for, the folks at Fort Gary are beer fans, just like you and I. Mm -hmm which is why they're dedicated to great flavors that satisfy and expand all palates. Whether that's their endless pursuit of the perfect, clean, pure-tasting lager, or creating scintillating, bold new flavors, Fort Gary will continue to do what they do best, because their passion is brewing, and the best-tasting beer for the most loyal beer drinkers in the country. Our province, our people, our beer. I like it. 
we're a couple of Manitobans, so I uh, you, you this, is, this is for us, right? Yeah. This is this is our uh, type of thing. So the first one I'm pouring here for you, Cam, is a uh, the Hoshins Ele uh, Eleven Double IPA. It's a six point five. Uh, at a 45, 6.5% uh, alcohol mm. and a 45 IBU. It's named after the Fort Gary founder, the late Richard Hoshan. This beer showcases citra and cascade hops. They were dry hops late for an intense aroma of citrus, floral, and pine. Crystal and roasted malts produce a, a clean, malty sweetness in the background of this flavorful beer. And I want everyone to note that Brandon has been He's been generous in pouring the beer. So. <laughs> well, we have generous sponsors in Fort Gary Brewing, so my Here's. pleasure. Oh. Now, oh, that is that is pretty good. I'm an IPA guy. Are you? I actually, I'm not. You're not, but you like that. I, I'm not an IPA guy, and this is a really good beer. I think it's the double, right? Like, there's, there's an extra yeah. process involved, and it. it's very smooth, and it doesn't... It's it, yeah, I uh, yeah, I can drink this. no, I this is this is very drinkable. Well, we might just have another one later, who knows? Mm. This is uh, it doesn't taste like it looks in my view. No, it's uh, no, I as I said, I'm not an IPA guy generally. But well, you're coming around Fort I, Gary. Well, I know you'll be stopping is, in there uh, on your way back, pick up a few more for yourself there. So, Cam, maybe I could uh, well, we sip away on this one here. Um, Moving to your new role. You yeah. started just uh, a few months ago with as the general manager of the mm -hmm. Manitoba Pork Producers. Uh, you know, you have worked in the livestock sector before, so this is not entirely novel to use, but I imagine there's, you know, a bit of a, a learning curve. What's what's life been like for you as you transition over here and kind of what are the challenges and opportunities facing the sector? I, I think to start off, and, and have, we've talked a little bit about this already, is, is that at that high level um, in export agriculture, are facing very much the same issues. So market access, um, protectionism, sanitary and phytosanitary issues. Right. Uh, and whether you're exporting wheat or canola or beef or pork, uh, those are your really big issues. The details are of course different. Right. Uh, in, in the pork industry, there's there are major threats from, mm -hmm. uh, from foreign animal disease. Uh, and, and of course, uh, Anybody that's that's followed the the pork industry uh, knows that uh, African swine fever is, has wiped out um, much of the pork industry in, in Asia. Mm -hmm. um, millions and millions of, of pigs in, in China have died. Um, we don't want it here. No. And and if it comes here, we need to be able to respond. So there's a lot of effort um, being put into um, keeping keeping disease out. Um, and being prepared to respond if it does arrive. So uh, it, it's not just African swine fever, there, there are right. others, but biosecurity is a really, really critical, critical point, or, or critical, critical issue for us. Um, uh, of course, trade, market access, uh, always, always important. I don't, um, it's, it's similar across the country, but, but here in Manitoba, 70% of our pork is exported. Uh, and, and so ensuring that markets stay open um, is really top of mind. We're, we're hearing, again, we talked about protectionism is back mm -hmm. in style, right? So uh, we're hearing noises from uh, south of the border that, uh, well, maybe country of origin labeling is, is going right. to be coming back, right? And, and so we need to be working on, on those, those issues as well. Uh, and, and then public trust. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that social license to be able to carry out modern agriculture activities. Uh, and that understanding that the product that we deliver 
um, is produced in a sustainable and humane way. And uh, uh, that takes a lot of work um, to, to, to deliver those messages. So I got a couple questions out of that out of that uh, great answer from you. When you when you talk about the the cool issue in the states, I think it's you probably wouldn't have expected that this is being pondered under the new administration. That seemed like that was perhaps something that that would have not been an area of focus. Is, is this is this a posturing you know position out of the out of the United States no. or is and, what, and, where and, is it going? And and I don't think it's dependent on on whether it's a Republican or a Democratic uh, White House. To be really honest, we were. Um, you know, the previous Republican uh, administration was pretty protectionist. Yep. Uh, and uh, the current Democratic administration is pretty protectionist. Mm. You know, there's, um, it, it's not just on agriculture. We're having Buy America, right? Um, the, the difficulty that we had in, in renegotiating uh, the, the new NAFTA. Uh, it's, it's, protectionism is back in style. And we're seeing that around the world yeah. too, where where countries are using um, sanitary and phytosanitary uh, rules of trade to to really really bar bar trade or, or inhibit trade. Um, we're we're seeing you know some of the Europe, for example, we've signed CETA. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, CETA has it's been good for Canada. Um, there's there's no question about that. It's been good for European farmers. Hmm. They're exporting a lot more stuff to Canada than they were before. It has not been good for Canadian farmers. Uh, you know, we have things like uh, uh, origin labeling in Italy on, on yeah. Durham. Uh, we have all the, uh, all the, the conditions to, to export beef. We're not exporting any more pork. Um, CETA hasn't been good for Canadian farmers, and what do we need to do to, to change that? Um, but it is, it's a trend. Protectionism is, is on the rise around, around the world, and um, that's really scary for an industry that depends on trade. Well, it's somewhat ironic because trade is what allows for food security. Absolutely. Like it, it, it doesn't actually make sense, but politically, obviously, it's effective, and, and it, it's why it's being utilized. You know, you, you mentioned a couple, uh, you mentioned the uh, African uh, swine fever uh, and, and then some of the biosecurity measures. What, what are you, what is Canada doing to present some of those disease challenges, both ASF uh, and others? And, and what relation does it have to biosecurity? And, and, and is, are we talking just biosecurity as in uh, somebody coming in and trying to release pigs out of a barn or any other amount of livestock? Or what are those biosecurity concerns? Well, I, I, I think a lot of people will be surprised that you, uh, you know, if, if you're working on in a hog operation, you actually shower before you go into the barn. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that it, it's very real for, right. for producers that, um, you know, need to protect the health and welfare of, of the animals under, under their care. So uh, hog producers in, in, in Canada and Manitoba uh, really pay an enormous amount of attention to, mm. um, to, to biosecurity. It's, it's a top of, top of mind. Uh, and and uh, when it comes to, to other countries around the world, um, we need to be, and, and we are, um, uh, negotiating agreements that if something were to happen, uh, you know, for, for example, I, we're in Manitoba, so I'm going to pick on a different province, uh, <laughs> that, that if there, if there was to be a foreign animal disease, for example, maybe an Alberta outbreak, uh, that we can zone properly zone or compartmentalize the country, uh, and 
um, those areas that are not impacted are still able to, to export. And so we need to put a lot of effort into negotiating those kinds of agreements as well. Is that, I mean, I know that can't be easy. Are we in a position that that's actually how we're operating? Yes, we're, we're, we're able to do that. Okay. And there's some of those agreements are, are, are in place already. So, um, that's something that, you know, together industry and government are, are working on. Good. Well, I do want to, you, you touched on CETA, but I'd like to come back to that. Um, perhaps we could, uh try our second drink first. Oh, if, well, if I got to okay finish for you. first. Well, you can, you can have a sip here. And so this one is going to be uh, the Fort Gary uh, Frontier. Uh, by the way. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. For the record, I am an Aggie. And as an Aggie, I have sworn an oath never to waste a beer. So you got to finish the whole thing. Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to pour you another one here. And uh, this one is the Fort Gary Frontier Pilsner. Now, I'm going to guess if you're not an IPA guy, you're probably more of a Pilsner guy or I a lager guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, okay. So this one... Uh, I, I'll be honest. I just, I do enjoy beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I knew you'd be a perfect fit here over at Beers with Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> so this one is, uh, is, as they say, steeped in, in tradition. Fort Gary has uh, recrafted their 1932 Frontier Pilsner, a malty lager with richness and flavor. And it's a wonderful, balanced, and easy-drinking beer. I'd like you to tell me if that's the case. Cheers. That's that's a fine just beer. Just a solid beer. Yeah, it's no, and beer. hot summer day, well, a cold winter day, but a hot summer yeah. day, this is this is a perfect just beer. A, just a, it's what yeah. I want in a beer. Just simple, yeah. perfect. Uh, I guess that's why it's traditional. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> and the word drinkable is very... Very drinkable. Very, very accurate. So, Camp, you've had... Uh, You've had a lot of experience in trade, and that's why I, I want to dig into an, uh, kind of a number of issues for folks here, because I, I think that you have a lot of different perspectives to bring to the table. And I, I feel like I learn something every time I talk to you, so I think I'd like to share that with others. You mentioned protectionism and some of the phytosanitary and phytosanitary challenges that we're facing. Is that uh, a fair representation of the current state of play when it comes to global trade, or is there kind of more behind the scenes, and this is a short-term uh, situation, or is it is it is this going to be around for a long time? You think? I think it's around for a long time. Okay. Again, we're I I think I think we're seeing a growth in nationalism, hmm. um, and you know we can pick on a lot of countries. We see that in the U.S. We see that in the EU, um, but it it's a trend around the world where it's me first, hmm. um, which is course anti-trade yep. right like that's Apparently, yep. that's not what we want to see um, and in the past what that would have meant is that we simply have tariffs put in place right um, and uh, but we've negotiated trade agreements so countries are looking for innovative ways <laughs> to block trade right and and so this is where we get to those sanitary and phytosanitary right. measures uh, you know when I've got a trade agreement with you but there's some obscure fungus that I saw once yeah. in one kernel of wheat. Well, you know, we're, we need to block trade from you because this is risky. Hmm. Um, and, and so we need to, uh, we need to really, really ensure that those sanitary and phytosanitary measures of trade are, are based on, on science. Um, right. and, and we need to also at the same time, because this is linked to the WTO, right? Yeah. Um, people think of the WTO as, you know, it's a negotiating body, um, but it's also um, 
it's also the body where we resolve disputes. Um, and it's not really functioning very well no. at the moment. Again, this gets back to that, that uh, growth of protectionism. Um, Canada's done some things to help l try to lead that forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Ottawa Group. Yeah. The Ottawa Group, for example. The U.S. has done some things like, you know, preventing the appointment of appellate judges to <laughs> to block that. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I'm going to go back to, um, it doesn't matter whether it's a Democrat or Republican Clearly. administration, right? Uh, we had the previous administration that was, was, you know, really trying to make the WTO dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, that hasn't changed. No. Um, we've never even promised that it would change. You no, just kind of ignored it, right? It's been ignored. We're not having appellate judges appointed, right? No. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't help them, right? And, but it does, you know, and, and that's, I think the conversation mm. we need to have is, is that free trade is important to Europe. It's important to the United States. It's important to the world. And, um, we're on the wrong side of that cycle right now. Is this the end of a science-based uh, predictable rules fair, predictable rules-based trading system in the world, or is is this uh, a hiccup? Are we going to get to WTO reform in six years? I I don't think it's a hiccup. Uh, WTO reform is really really difficult. Yeah. Um, uh, because it it requires everyone to agree, which is. Yeah, frankly, good luck it's, today, eh? it's, it's <laughs> a silly way of, of trying to govern an organization, frankly. Uh, I'd, I would more think about it as a cycle. Okay. So I, I think we're, you know, we went through that cycle of, of optimism, growth of trade. Uh, you know, Canada had, has gone through, uh, we probably have more tr free trade agreements with, with, with other countries mm -hmm. than, than Pretty much two thirds it, it, the world, I think. Yeah, um, we're so we've gone through that that positive cycle, right? Um, and we're going the other way, and and so I think what needs to happen now is we need to have a shift in focus uh, from the government of Canada. Um, you know, we've had that we've had twenty years of focus on negotiating trade agreements, get them in place. Industry is going to drive the benefits. Um, let's go on to the next agreement, right? Um, our resources now need to be focused on protecting the gains that we've made, ensuring that um, you know science-based rules of trade are followed. Um, I would like, I would rather see, uh, you know, a, a really strong science-based uh, CFIA team in Asia yeah. um, than opening up another trade agreement uh, set of negotiations. Um, because, because it's the risk of backsliding is, is really large at the moment. So I, I would like to see a little bit of a pivot from the government to, yeah. to use a very overused word. Um, you know, we have been focused on negotiations. Yeah. We have been focused on new trade agreements. Uh, the world has shifted. The world has shifted to more nationalism, protectionism. And I think the focus and energy of the government of Canada needs to shift with it. I want to dive into that because, as you know, Grant Gores has worked with Serials Canada and a number of our value chain partners on on a campaigns relating to this, um, you know, how to better, inf not necessarily enforce, but prevent barriers from emerging when kind of challenges emerge. But I'd like to get back to what you said about CETA and the fact that farmers aren't, well, Canada isn't, isn't reaping the benefits that nope. we're seeing of our, of our counterparts. What is 
beyond just simply, you know, we sign the agreement and we walk away, what is that missing step of, of, an, of an enforcement mechanism, so to speak? Is it is it money to an office that will ensure that these are followed up on for the first five years of implementation? What is that solution in your view? I, I, I think it's more that focus on, on you know, the back end of, of the negotiations. And, um, you know, it, it's up until this point, it, it's kind of been... The focus has been reaching the agreement, getting it in place, and moving on to the next, and 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 um, you know understanding that industry is going to be able to to navigate um, the the agreement itself because we had a willing partner, mm. um, and we don't always have a willing partner anymore. Uh, so, you know, there are going to be times when Canada is going to need to be a little bit more aggressive um, in in defending our interests. Um, uh, you know, I've spent yep. a lot of time on Italy and Durham wheat in, in past lives, and um, you know we need to aggressively fight for those 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 when those issues come mm. up, um, we need to fight back. And and why do you uh, think we don't? Partly, it's not in our nature, right? Um, and and uh, you know there was you know there was bad press about the agreement, so. You know, we didn't really want to stir the pot a little bit, and it was know, too sensitive politically. It, it was too sensitive politically. Yeah, you know, you you hit you hit the nail on yeah. the head, uh, or with with, you know, how how meat is treated and and how how meat is is ensured that it's safe to eat. Right. Uh, Canada has has, you know, some of the the <laughs> world leaders. We are world leaders in in. In, in how how um, meat is ensured to be safe, you know an example is is um, carcasses are are treated with with a citrus wash. It's, this is a really good beer, by the yeah, way. I, 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 I want to make sure you get a little more. I know you like that one. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> sorry, one. sorry to distract you. <laughs> um, carcasses are treated with a citrus wash to to ensure that um, they're they're free of of, of bacteria. Hmm. So lemon juice right like it's not lemon juice but but that's well, some form that, of that's what right? yeah. uh, well it's not approved in Europe what we're delivering is actually safer um, um, it's that drive to ensure that the equivalency is recognized we recognize European equivalency mm. um, we need to ensure that our science-based practices are equivalently recognized by Europe and again so these are these are things that are in the agreement but just not they can be frustrated, yeah. right? Okay. Um, you know, it's not approved in Europe. It's so you can't do it. And and so what that means for, for example, for processing plants is, well, if you want to export to Europe, you have to have a completely separate line. And that's expensive. So you've, you've been, as you mentioned, you've, you've been working on the Italy file. I know you've worked on uh, a number of countries that have thrown up Barriers of was it thistle seeds? Yes. Uh, in Vietnam, like there's well, there's there was there was a lot of effort put into Peru, which was is one of our largest uh, wheat customers. So I, rec I I was told that the government used to have a website that tracked all of these trade barrier challenges in oh. a list form that they just decided not to do anymore. Is it because it got there was too many now? I I have no idea to be honest. It's it seems like you know is it. It's unfortunate that every single commodity can point to multiple different challenges. And they're growing over time, yeah. right? Like, again, if you go back, um, 
if you go back 15, 20 years, the, the challenge was tariffs. We yeah. were talking about Well, they just tariffs. found an alternative it, and this version, is right? Non-tariff trade barriers is what they're called for a reason, right? It's, exactly. It's just a different way. Yeah. So a, a couple of things that we've been working on here, and, and you mentioned earlier about having CFIA officials on, on the ground there. And and I know like our, our, our trade commissioners, I, I, I think, do good work. We they have do. provincial trade offices that I think do really good work. Yeah. And industry but you know you, you've told me this before and i've heard it from others that there's maybe a lack of coordination between all of the various levels of government that are involved abroad and industry uh, it's certainly juxtaposed to what we see some of our biggest competitors doing yeah. could you kind of explain kind of what that difference is and how we as as canada needs to adjust to ensure we can avoid these from actually sure. popping sure. up i I'll, I'll focus on europe or sure. on asia it's it's not just asia but that's just such a growing market for us um, what I would like to see is, is a little bit of a fire team mm. um, so that, uh, you know, if, if you're uh, in a, you know, the, the embassy in Korea and, and you learn that there's going to be some questions coming up or, or there's some regulations that are going to change, that there's, there's scientific expertise in Asia that can get on a plane and be in, in, in Seoul right. in, in the next day and sit down with Korean officials and say, okay, here's Canada's position. This is what it means. Um, and, you know, we kind of disagree with you a little bit. And if you would just change a you know, mm. your path just a little bit, it would facilitate trade between us. Um, and to be able to have those conversations in advance of actually seeing regulation makes such a difference. And of course, it also ensures that we have personal relationships yeah. between regulators. Um, and that's just so valuable. Every, everybody knows who, who carries out any form of business yeah. that it's personal relationships, right? Yeah. That's what it's made on. And so we need to have, we need to have scientific expertise in, in key regions around the world. Um, both to proactively promote science-based rules of trade, as well as, as I said, to act as that fire team. Mm. You know, if things pop up, that we're able to get there really quickly. Put it out. And, and to put it out. Um, and that can also be tied in with, with industry, um, industry collaboration. Uh, that, you know, if there's, if there's issues coming up in, in pork exports to Taiwan, for example, that, um, you know, that fire team can include somebody from, from the Canadian pork industry. So we need to have that collaboration between government and industry, and we need to have stronger science-based resources in the field. Um, and as I said, that's going to take money, that's going to take resources, um, and it's it's a little bit of a pivot in trade policy yeah. for the government of Canada, and it needs to happen. I think I think you're you're bang on there. You, you said something interesting, and I think it's something we want. You you mentioned when regulators have that personal relationship with other regulators. We have a world world class regulatory system. In theory, our government should want our regulators to having having influence over other regulators that are immature regulatory systems, yeah. right? So, you know, there, there's there's a reason that the government, it's a worthy investment for the government, in my view. Is that a fair assessment? It's 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 a wonderful assessment. And, and um, you know, we trade with a lot of countries around the world. Um, and we spend a lot of money, and frankly, I've been involved in agriculture development. I I agree with, with development. Um, helping countries build their regulatory system to be a predictable science-based yeah. system is good. It's good for that country. Right. 
And if we don't do it, won't the Europeans put in a hazard-based approach, right? Like, exactly. Wouldn't, isn't this a void we want to fill? If we're if we are truly a trade-based nation, which we are, isn't this is kind of a no-brainer to me? It it should be, and and we need to. Uh, as I said, it it would be doing good, and it's in our own interest. Um, and and you know that example of sort of the European approach, um, you see it across Africa, right? Right, exactly. Um, they have um, influence around the world, and and it's cost lives. Mm-hmm. It's not. And it's going to get worse. Yeah. You have a you formed a farm to fork strategy. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I, I've heard a little bit about it. <laughs> well, so I, I, maybe a, a different angle. You've been on a number of of trade missions around the world. Now, I never have. I don't know what it is. I think most farmers haven't. Mm-hmm. Could you give me kind of an outline of what this is and why we do it and why it's so important? Some are good. <laughs> Not all of them are, okay. but uh, some are good. And the ones that are good, again, are about that, those relationships. Right. And and so, you know, to me, it's not about, uh, well, we went to Japan and we made a sale for X million of dollars. That's not what it's about. It's ensuring that you establish those relationships so that if something is happening that's not good, um that you have a relationship with your colleagues yep. in, in, you know, whether it's a, a Japanese brewing company or a Japanese malting company or a Japanese uh, barley importer, um, that something is, is happening and instead of, you know, going to the government and, you know, wanting to take some, some trade action, that they come to you and go, mm. you know, what's going on and can we fix it? And you have enough of a personal relationship that you you can you can address those problems be- before they become trade barriers, yep. and that's the real benefit of of some of those 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 trade missions. It's again, it's about establishing establishing relationships. So you mentioned you you, you thought there's a need for a pivot to so a focus on um, ensuring that our current existing FDAs are working. Mm-hmm. Now I, I assume you don't want to abandon the kind of existing in the in the you know fairly early stages of a number of agreements with block countries that, that we are kind of embarking on or is it just again kind of a focus issue perhaps it's it's a focus issue but I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples um and i'm probably going to annoy some people that's fine um, and so here drink, take us up your beer. yeah sorry sorry if i'm going down you. Feel yeah. better. um but but for example we're in long run um uh negotiations with the Mercosur countries mm-hmm. if, of, of South America. There is really limited benefit. Right. Um, and there's... For all commodities? Well, all? especially for agriculture. So, okay. okay. Yeah, just just across the board. Just like, the numbers aren't there. Like, are, like are, are we going to, you know, gain something in negotiating Bra- with Brazil on beef? Or soybeans, or soybeans, yeah, like, like, yeah, no, fair, fair point. probably not. And on top of that, these are not partners that are really open to free and free trade. They're just not. Argentina's just imposed export subsidies right. again, right? And and so you know, there's an example of okay, trade agreements are good, um, but maybe we shouldn't be. Maybe our resources could be better spent right. somewhere else. As you said, getting you know getting the yeah. best out of what we have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that would be one example. 
Well, I'm going to pause here for I. Uh, I'd like to uh, to try our third of of four. We have four. Well, I thought you, you could handle you, it. You're you're going to get my <laughs> my my clear and unvarnished opinion by the end of this. <laughs> well, that's what I think. So I I know I want, and I think people like to hear is the truth and actual opinion. So so this one here is the Fort Gary uh, Dark English Mile Ale. It's a, a 5% ABV and a 16 IB, IBU, which is quite low. I think this is actually going to be an interesting for a dark beer. Uh, this is the flagship brand for brewery, or for, pardon me, flagship beer for Fort Gary Brewery. It's a chestnut colored ale that boasts caramel, coffee, and chocolate flavors, and a balanced hop finish for excellent drinkability. Chocolate in there too, eh? There's a lot of a lot of uh, pieces on the palate here. It's I, I'm looking forward to trying this. Complex, exactly. Cheers, Cheers absolutely. Oh, that's solid, yeah. I see why that's the flagship. Oh, that's a very good beer. That's just yeah. I see why that's the one. Yeah. You can taste. You can yeah, it's, taste it's a little. A, little it is complex. Yeah, yeah, you can taste that like a dark chocolate in there. Eh? Yeah. No, that's a very very nice beer. So, Cam, I'd like to ask you a question. I, I know you're not involved, you know, with the in your current role with the Manitoba pork producers, but when you were at Serious Canada, you were very involved in the responsible grain code of practice, and, and and you were involved largely, I think, from from early stages because you, as we talked about the trade missions, you were aware of what customers are starting mm -hmm. to demand because that is the role of Serious Canada. You're you're yeah. well positioned. The process is still ongoing. But it's it's been a difficult one. I we'll say we'll call it controversial. Yep. Twitter has been lighting up during the process. A lot of people were upset by content of it to some extent, and communications, and you know there's some ideology kind of baked into this. I think inherently there. But I I'm kind of give us the Cole's notes and your view of of how this process unfolded. Perhaps you know where you think it's going to go. But and also more importantly why it's necessary or why you believe yeah. it's necessary. So yeah, I was very involved. So I was the, the chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops. Um, and you know, I this is really, really necessary. Um, and across the board on all of agriculture. So I'll start at the high level of this first. Um, more and more we're hearing uh, around the world um, and it's, you know, in our high valued markets, um, North America, Japan uh, are examples. They're not the only examples that uh, consumers and therefore our customers, you know, the, the importers are asking the question, where does my food come from? Mm -hmm. um, so they want to know, how is it produced? Is it sustainable? And everyone has a, I know everyone hates that word, but <laughs> because there's a different definition, yeah, right? Find me a definition, but, yeah. but, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not real. Mm. Um, so, you know, what, what has the impact of production been on land, uh, soil quality, water quality? Um, we have really good answers to those questions. Right. Uh, so that's one point, is we have really good answers to those questions. And, and the second point is, this isn't a fad. Mm. You know, this isn't something that's, that's there, there are lots of internet fads. I'll give you one example on the grain side. Um, the war on gluten was kind of a fad. <laughs> and it had an impact. Yeah, it did. Uh, but it's 
kind of over in Canada. Interesting. I'm going to come back to that, but I want to finish this. Um, the question of where does my food come from is not a fad. Um, where there's going to be more and more pressure, and we're going to need to answer that question. So this is, this is the question that really is facing producers, is not, is this real and do I need to address it? Um, but the question is, how do I address this? And the goal of, of developing the, the code of practice for, for grain was to say, okay, we're going to answer this as much as possible um, in a way that isn't going to require um, producers to fill out new forms. Um, we're going to answer this in, as much as possible in a big block that say that we, um, we, you know, we're fulfilling this, this need from our customers um, in a way that fits our operations. And then that really was, was not, that is the goal to, mm. to today. Um, the, the process was, was, this didn't, it wasn't invented. This mm. isn't new, right? Mm. Um, this is something that the animal industries have done for, oh, probably the last 20 years or so through the, the Farm Animal Care Council. Um, and so all the, the livestock industries have a code of practice. There's a code of practice for the care and handling of pigs. There's a code of practice for, for beet production, for sheep production, for, for horses. Um, and it was, you know, that was really driven by the animal care industry. So we have a model and the models work really, really well. There are some of the key elements of that is, uh, one, it has to be transparent. Um, and, and so, you know, this is not something that we're going to develop on our own in the basement and come out and say, Hey, look, this is great. Um, so there, there has to be some independence. So we're going to have to accept some outside people coming in and saying, okay, I agree with that. Or I don't agree with that. Their comments need to be based on science. Their perception needs to be based on science. Um, and, uh, you know, it needs to include absolutely be driven by farmers. Um, but we need to have that outside, outside expertise and we need to have full and open consultations. And I think that's really where, you know, perhaps where things got off the rail a little bit on, on this. And I think absolutely it will come back because I, this is really important. Mm. Um, the consultations were real. This was, you know, yeah. I, there were, there were, there were some, and I understand perhaps why that, uh, saw the publication of, of the draft as fait accompli. Right. You know, somebody is wanting right. to impose something on me. Um, and that, no, this, this was a consultation document. This is a consultation document. Um, and the consultations are very real. And, and, um, you know, the feedback has been given, um, there was some concerns, there was a lot of concerns, but, but there was also, there was also a, a lot of positive feedback as well. Um, and so we're going to see a revised code come back this fall. Um, the code development committee, um, uh, you know, some really good people on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, you know, Jason Lentz has, has yeah. come in as, as the chair of the, of the CRSC is also on, on the code development committee. Uh, Ted Menzies is, came in as, as the chair of, of the code development committee. Um, 
Ted has a long history of trust, yep. and and I it's been well earned, um, and and he has put a lot of a lot of that on the line for for this project. Yep. And um, again, that just shows to you know somebody who has recognized you know this is where our customers are going, and we need to supply the need. So what's the alternative? So you asked why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. I know, uh, what's oh, can I just jump in? I, I, I'd like yeah. to ask, so if, so if I'm a farmer that says, listen, I'm not growing palm oil and uh, burn down forests to, to uh, grow palm oil. I don't live in Brazil. I'm not cutting down to Amazon to, to build yeah. or to grow soybeans. I'm using the same land base and I'm doing it sustainably. What good does this do me? So because your, your customers are asking that question. Okay. So prove it go. to me. Show me. Right. It's not good enough to say, you know what, I'm good, and and just trust me. No, um, we we are in a show me world, right? And and so it's not just we have to sh show this. And so again, that question isn't um, is this something we need to address? It's how do we address this? Right. Um, it isn't do we need to demonstrate? It's how do we demonstrate? And, and the, those, those are the questions that, that we need to figure out. Um, and can we do this in a way that's, you know, for the most part is, is a single package for, for Canadian production or is every company going to have a, a different scheme for every commodity? Um, mm. and, and one of the things when, you know, sitting down and, and at the start of the process, one of the things that we were trying to avoid is, you know, having 30 different books on, on the shelf of, hmm. of uh, you know, keeping track of records for, for every commodity and, and every different company that you do business with. Um, we don't want that. Right. And the other thing we want to avoid is governments coming in and, and <laughs> regulating, right? Uh, because that's part of the alternative because it's not just public pressure abroad, it's public pressure at home. Hmm. So how do we ensure that the good production practices that we're carrying out today, like zero till, for example, sure. or, or the 4R, you know, nutrient management, we're really good at nutrient management. Mm -hmm. um, how do we ensure that um, those are recognized and governments say, okay, guys, you know, you got this, you got this. And we're yeah. good with that. The alternative is, oh, uh, you know, agriculture is a problem and we need to regulate. And that is, I think, uh, something everybody wants to avoid because I, that's, there's no good end I, there. I'll, I'll give you an example. Because if people don't think this is real, I'll, I'll give you an example. Is, is the um, uh, cosmetic use pesticide bats. Oh, yes. They have absolutely right. no basis in science no. whatsoever. Well, no, but you're actually just putting lipstick on the pig, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but that's an example of where public pressure results in yeah, in bad policy in, or, in bad policy and bad regulation. Yeah. So, is Canada a leader in this? You mentioned all the animal um, the animal sector, uh, livestock sectors that are working in this space. Is Canada the only one that's doing this or are other countries uh, also doing similar type projects? I, I think a lot of, most of our competitors are well in advance. Re are they ahead uh, of us, do you think? Yeah, I, I do. And, and, you know, some of it is, is 
sort of driven by government, uh, not driven by government, but under a broad umbrella. Um, but even you know parts of the U.S. where it, it's not necessarily a national effort, or mm. but you have significant portions of the industry that are are under under um, uh, uh, sustainability, for lack of a better term, umbrella. Um, we're 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 not out in front on this. And, what happens and, if we don't do it? That's a really good question. So, you know, are we still going to be able to sell around the world? Yeah, um, but we're not necessarily going to be a preferred customer. So, is that the benefit inherently for some farmers? Is that they were not losing that pr- primary yeah. access? Yeah. So there, there's two parts, I, and and both are really important. One is we don't get regulated for things that we shouldn't be regulated for at home. Mm-hmm. So that's one, um, and. You know, whether that's regulation on whether you can cut a tree down or whether you can clear a ditch or, you know, those are all, those are all real. So the ensuring that we're not overly regulated at home or not more, more than normal and then ensuring market access. So those are the two, yeah. two, two, two. Is two there points. any reasonable chance, because they're not, they're not written in the same way or in theory they won't be written in the same way. That the government could say, oh, this is a really good plan, Green, guys. We're going to make these all regulations? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I don't think, and again, this is why um, this is why the animal care codes have, like, why that model was, was followed. Um, because really, in, in most cases, what governments have done is said, as you said before, okay, industry, you've got this. Hmm. Um, and, and so our guidelines... For, you know, if we're going to go out and do investigations, well, we're going to use what you said as a guideline, but it's not a regulation. Right. And and there, there's a world of difference between those two. I believe anybody that's regulated would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Any other kind of final party thoughts before we move on from responsible grain on this, on this issue? I, I, I think it's really important. Um, I, I know that there has been some really visceral opposition. Yeah. Um, it's been very divisive, and that's unfortunate. It, it, it's really unfortunate, and um, but but it's important, and and it's not it's not going away, and it's not going away because this is what consumers in North America are asking, and this is what our customers are asking for. I've thought of one more, so I'm not going to go completely away from responsible grain just yet. I'm thinking of some of the criticisms I've seen online. There was there's an environmental group, a certain environmental group, Ducks Unlimited. I'll just say the name. I, regardless of what you may think of them, did Ducks Unlimited manage to hypnotize everybody else around that table? Mm-hmm. Is that what happened? Did they did no. they lead that? I mean, no, that's... and 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 I, I I understand why some people have concerns about DU. Yeah, um, fair. I, I, I do. Um, but, but I also understand that there, there are people at the organization, uh, particularly in Canada, um, that really do want to work with Canadian agriculture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that is real. So both of those things and, you know, yeah, those they're are not mutually exclusive. They th- both exist. They both exist. And, and I think that's one of the things to, to recognize is that, um, both of those things are true. Yeah. Um, the the engagement around responsible grain was very real. 
Um, and um, it didn't come with a hidden agenda. It just wasn't. Uh, it was, um, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, they have been a very responsible partner in, mm. in, in this process. They said, I understand some of the reaction, yeah. um, but but it, in this case, as I said, they have been a responsible partner. And without that endorsement, without, again, if 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 we just do this in our basement. Yeah. You need a third party of verification of some sort, you, something, you need, you need that. And again, I'm looking to um, to the other other codes or, you know, responsible are the, the beef, uh, uh, verified beef program. Um, the fact that there's this outside acceptance of, of the program makes all the world a difference. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll stop beating this horse. <laughs> Is it dead yet? I think it's yeah. Dead. But I, I'd like to speak in a, in a similar vein. Um, you've, you, you've been communicating on ag issues for a long time, hence in the intro when I said people have seen your face and name in the Western <laughs> Producer and any other uh, news outlet there. But I'm kind of curious the progression of, of, in your view, of agricultural communications and what was effective when you started might not be effective now. And what is your current philosophy, philosophy and how has that changed on how we can communicate issues to the, both government and more broadly the general public? I, I think to start, I'm not a natural communicator. Well, you I, fooled me. I, well, no, <laughs> I'm not. Um, and, and it's something that you learn, I learned over time is um, you could have the best policy in the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and it could be brilliant. And everyone around your table agrees with you that it's brilliant. But if you don't communicate, it doesn't matter. And, and I've come to realize over time that communication out with the public and communication out to the community, um, you know, the producer community, the agriculture community, um, has to be part of absolutely everything we do. Mm. Um, because if, if it's not, what we do doesn't matter. And, and so whether it's policy development, uh, whether it's advocacy work, uh, whether it's it's working on some of these difficult problems around trade, um, communication again to the to the agriculture community, to our customers, to our shareholders, as well as as um, to the broader public, it has to be part of absolutely everything we do, and it really does. Yeah. And, and so, as I said, I'm not a natural communicator, but if, for those of us working in agriculture, um, communicating isn't an option. Mm. It's something that we have to do. And so, uh, we need to get good at it. We do, because there is a clear lack of understanding of what modern contemporary grain farming, and I think all types of agriculture, yeah. what currently exists here. Is there a different tact? Is it flashy ad campaigns? Is it like what is the future of ad communications in your mind to actually like to win this battle? We'll call it. I I think it's 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 multifaceted. <clears throat> um, I I think we we need to look at at you know whether it's social media, uh, whether it's arming our our you know our members to have those conversations in stores or with their neighbors. Uh, you know, I do think there's at times role for 
uh, uh, media. Mm. I, I think it's, it's multifaceted. Uh, I'm going back in a long time. Actually, I was working at the Grain Growers when, when somebody told me this. So this is long, it, it's a long <laughs> time ago. Uh, you know, I was talking to a national pollster. Uh, and he said something that has never left me. And it's, it's, we need to remember this. We're talking about, you know, farmers were rated at the high of the trust right. list. Um, and he said, you have to be really, really careful. He said, the public trusts farmers. They just don't like what you do. Hmm. And, and it's that difference in perception between um, what agriculture was in 1950 and what it is today. Yeah. And we need to talk about what agriculture is today. We need to talk about modern agriculture. Uh, I've used this line before, so forgive me, but um, Old McDonald's retired. Yeah. So let him retire. Um, that is not agriculture today. It's not four pigs and six chickens and, and a quarter section of land. But that's what someone in downtown Toronto views as agriculture. I don't blame them. When you look up a farmer as your emoji on your iPhone or your Samsung, what do you yeah. think it looks like? Yeah. It doesn't look like the face so, of today's farmer. So we need to we need to change that. I don't yeah. know how you do that. It's hard. It's really hard. But we need to Because there's that level of... Uh, People like to reminisce of what was, and it's almost like people would prefer that that that's what they that they want to keep that vision of farmers because it's, you know, it's, it's what it looks like in the past. It's, it's lovely. It's romantic. And exactly, it was, romanticism and, to it. And it was awful. Yeah, um, we're a hell of a lot better now. It was it was filled with poverty and, uh, it was, it was a it was an awful life, uh, and we, we've come such a long ways and. Um, we shouldn't be shy about talking about modern agriculture. No. Um, no. And, and it's so important because this is, it's the prime, primary production creates all of the wealth. That one in eight job stat that we always use, well, it wouldn't happen without primary production, yeah. right? And so we, we darn rights better try to better tell that story and show that this is a critical aspect, both economically and sustainability. Sustainable. Absolutely. Like, come out and visit a farm. Yeah. I've seen probably 12 deer in the last two days. Jumping around canola fields, yeah. you hear the birds chirping. We, you know, farmers, conservationists, I, 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 we're on my dad's property here. He's, he's recently, uh, he did something bad. He actually cut down some trees and he made a trail. Now he's planted about 8,000 in his life. So I think he's given a couple okay. hundred to give and take So he's here. good then. But he's, he was also talking about, you know, he, he's created a bit of a, a, a water holding area and he wanted to have an angle in for deer to go down for drinking water, right? It's about wildlife. It's a, it's a conservation story that is really critical and it, it's just, it's difficult to tell. Yeah. It, it really is. is. But, but that's the story we need. And it's it easy to slip back into, you know, telling old McDonald's stories. Exactly. Exactly. And we can't do that. Well, you're done yours. I think we have our fourth. We fin we're going to finish with a lighter note here of, okay. our, of our samples. And I think the questions, ah, they might not get lighter, but but we'll we'll, we'll go with a lighter uh, a lighter drink here for the moment. So this is a Rattler. Oh, okay. It is the Fort Gary Passion Peach and Guava Rattler. It's a 3.5, so we'll, we'll finish on a lighter note okay. here. It's a blend of real peach, guava, and passion fruit juices with a refreshing light lager. It gives a fresh tasting beer a sweet, yet slightly tart taste. I like tarts. 
like butter tart. Well, this is not a butter tart. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. well, I'll take this one. That was a poor pour. I can't let you have that. All right. And I, I don't think I've mentioned, but you are going to need to pick one of the four here. Oh, you for need to, you need to prioritize. Like, I know you're a political staffer. You can't just say they're all great. This you should have told me that at the beginning. Well, I'll give you a quick reminder that you'll look at the cans. Okay. It's going to be just fine. But let me know what you think of the Rattler here first. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's peachy. It's kind of like a fuzzy so, peach taste. Yeah. You know what? It's a really good drink. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a beer. But uh, it's a really good well, drink. Well, it's a Rattler. It's a Rattler. Uh, a refreshing light lager. I, I, I believe it's, it's, it's beer-based. It is. It is very... Uh, it, do we taste uh, fuzzy peaches? I do, actually, yeah. Which well, I like. Which I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's no very appealing to me. So, I, I'm going to close, not with difficult questions, actually, with um, big picture questions. I know you see tremendous growth opportunity in all of agriculture. You've worked in every sector and you're well-rounded in understanding that. What is the biggest potential or likely impediments that is going to prevent that growth from materializing? It, it's public license. Interesting, okay. Yeah, beyond um, any any doubt for, for North American um, modern farmers, that's, that's the biggest potential threat. It's, it's your public license to be a modern farmer. And, and you know, this is occurring in, in other markets. You, you mentioned the farm to fork. Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, the pork production in Europe is it's fleeing to Spain. Why? Because all the traditional pork producers can't do it anymore. What, from overregulation or what's causing over, Overregulation, absolutely. Okay. Um, and um, so, you know, here in North America, we have to be careful about that. And so getting back to, you know, your discussion around responsible grain, um, preventing overburden of regulation is not, it's not a small thing. No. Um, I, I see it as a, the single biggest threat to, to modern agriculture. In, in, now, in I, I think it's important to highlight that the EU and Canada are different. We're very different. They have been managing landscapes for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. We are barely a country when it comes to the time frame, right? Right. How, it seems as though our, the current government is eager to follow the lead of the EU. And that's fine in certain situations, but I think it's important to recognize that, you know, from sustainability perspective, we need a bit of a made in Canada approach here. We mm -hmm. are, we are an entirely different landscape. We are entirely different. How important is it that we we, we kind of chart our own course in this area? So we can loop back to the very beginning of this conversation when we were talking about collaboration. Mm. Um, because as an industry, we have to answer that question for ourselves. Because if we don't, yep. governments are going to answer for us. And we're not going to like the reply. That's a great point. And it's your point of that cycle of collaboration. I think you're right. We need we need an upswing there. We do now. No, the flip side of this, and, and last question prior to the really difficult. What's your favorite beer question here? What can what what we know the potentials there. What's going to make it happen? How do we convince government? How do we drive this forward? I I think just don't stop. Right, I, you know, we, we, we talked about working with government and it doesn't move at a swift pace. Um, <laughs> no. So I, I think 
I think we just don't stop. Um, and we don't stop working together. We don't stop um, um, working on the, even though it takes forever. Uh, again, if you look back at, at you know, where trade was in, in 2000 and, and the fact that, you know, export agriculture really didn't have much of a place at the table with the government of Canada. Um, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. Um, but if you just kind of are stubborn mm. and don't walk away, um, it, you can make a difference. Sage advice. And I promise I'll continue and I know you will. Yeah, Whatever sector you. we're working working in at any given uh -huh. time. But Cam, thank you so much for coming out here. This has been an absolute pleasure to have you out uh, here. It's been great. And a gorgeous summer afternoon drinking, now, drinking some great beer. What's your favorite? You have three options here. We have the uh, the uh, English Mild Ale. Oh, yeah, four, I should say. We have the Peach and Guava Passion. We have the Double IPA. You're missing that one. It was oh, no. the dark. Dark is your favorite? That, that is. Okay. That's the winner of the day. Uh, my favorite's the uh, Hoshin's 11, the double IPA. Okay. But I, I, I can't you know even what? bias as an IPA guy, so. It, uh, was, it, was, it was really good. I know. I, you had told me you were, you were a little uh, IPA hesitant to compare it to vaccine hesitancy, but uh, I appreciate uh, this very much. So, again, thanks for coming out, and uh, I think, well. There's a lot of opportunities ahead for us to, to work together and collaborate going forward here. You betcha. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And thank you to our presenting sponsor, Beer Canada, the voice of those who make our nation's beers. Thank you to Fort Gary Brewery in Winnipeg for providing these excellent products for us to taste. And I would encourage all of you to stop by and find it for yourself next time you're in Winnipeg. Thank you to the farmers that brewed the barley that was included in this beer. Yeah. Perhaps something that's overlooked, that this is an important relationship that we hold between the farming community and the brewing community. And most importantly, thank you to, thank, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with another special guest that I hope you'll enjoy. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date, stay up to date with all things Grain Growers of Canada, please follow us on Twitter, at Grain Growers, or on Instagram, at Canada's Grain Growers. Until next time, get out there and explore more products available from the Fort Gary Brewery in Winnipeg, and enjoy some high-quality Canadian grains in Canada's favorite summertime drink, Canadian beer. Take care. Mm -hmm.